Well, good morning again, everybody. I'm Jeff. I'm, uh, I'm one of the lead pastors and excited about bringing the word today. Oh, by the way, I know I'm going to forget this later, so I want to, um, I'm doing a seminar that starts, you've heard about it, it starts on Wednesday. It's called From Genesis to Revelation. It's three Wednesday nights. It's a walk through the scriptures from start to end, what goes where and why. It's sort of the, oh, I'm connecting the dots seminar. Some of you uh, did it last year with me. We did it on a Saturday, uh, uh, Saturday morning, and um, it's the same seminar, same stuff. So some are like, great, I want to come again. And others are like, no, I've been there, but I wanted you to know it's the same seminar, but it's over three Wednesday nights. Love to have you register and sign up. Also, by the way, while we're doing announcements, we're having a, one, another family picnic uh, a week from today, and this one's at Marinwood. So especially if you're a San Rafael family or didn't get to go to the others, come and join us after church on that day. Good. We got announcements done. I don't have to, to, to remember those later. Um, and this is so good. This seminar, this Bible seminar you'll love, I think, because we're going to, what we're trying to do is what we're doing in this sermon series, which is to go, there's good news in the Old Testament. When I read the Old Testament, I go, oh my gosh, I get lost in all kinds of stuff. And I want to talk about the idea of the temple and what what the precursor of the temple, which is called the tabernacle or the tent of meeting that you read about when the Israelites were wandering around. And what happens is we kind of go, oh yeah, I can get the concept. But when we start reading the details, we get lost because there's so many sacrifices. There's so many rituals. There's incense and do it this way and do it that way and cut this, this uh, cloth this way and make this thing this many cubits. Wide. And you're like, this is so hard. Like, what is this whole thing about? And yet in the middle of it, you guys, there's this incredible thread of good news throughout the whole thing. And um, and so I want to talk a little bit about it. In fact, yeah, I'm going to show you a picture right now. You can see a picture of the tabernacle. Here's what it comes down to. This tabernacle, which was in the desert time, which was a tent. It was portable. They could move it around. And the temple. Both of these things, if you were to understand this, you'll get it, go a long ways toward it. These were sanctuaries. They were holy places where God would dwell. They were holy places where God would dwell. That's what these things were all about. And so they were like, whoa, you mean God is actually with us. God will actually talk to us. God will actually lead us. And God will actually provide forgiveness for us. These things are happening because these, these places existed. This tabernacle right here, you're like, gosh, what, you know, what's going on here? There was stuff that was happening both outside and inside the uh, place. On the, the, there were sort of three tiers with both the tabernacle and the temple. I'll show you the temple, and then we'll go back to the tabernacle. Here's a picture of the, what the temple may have looked like. Of course, it doesn't exist anymore, the temple. And uh, I'll talk about the temple in just a sec. It's that like, this is like an artist's conception. Now there's a mosque on top of what's called the Temple Mount. And that's why when Jewish people go to worship, they worship at the Western Wall, which is essentially the uh, part of the foundation that still exists. And it's the only place that's part of the original temple that's still there. And so they go to this wall, which is basically like at the foundation stones of what used to be the temple complex. And they worship God there. Man, it's, it's amazing. And when I was in Jerusalem, I was in Jerusalem, that trip that uh, Art, Art and Ben and I and our wives took uh, several years ago. You, you are so jealous that we did, like, you didn't get to go on that trip with us. It was unbelievable. It was just us, and uh, we missed you a lot. And it was, uh, when we were in Jerusalem, I was five days out of that trip. We were in Jerusalem, and every morning I got up and I ran to the Western Wall to worship alongside the Jews, to stand in the stream of the way in which God's people had been crying out forever for God's presence to be manifest among his people, for him to hear our cries. 
for him to be uh, moving in history. And we prayed every day for Marin Covenant at the Western Wall. Man, it was awesome. It was so great. It doesn't exist anymore, but both go back to the, t- the tabernacle. This was the one that happened in the desert. What you're looking at there is there's sort of three tiers. On the outside, there's work that got done on the outside. It was sort of the courtyard, not the outside of the fence, but the courtyard. You see an altar there that's happening. That was where you know, all the members of the community could come and sort of be near the presence of God. And then you got this tent structure and in the temple picture, and you can go back and forth, I guess, if you want, and read that, you know, that the, the inside structure, there, that's called the holy place, and that's divided by two into two things. So the first tier is outside. There's, there's sacrifices that can take place, and people can come worship in the outside. And then the inside was where the religious activity happened, where the priests could go into the holy place, and they did all kinds of rituals. And that's where you sort of get lost when you read in the Old Testament, because you're reading about all the ways in which you're supposed to do not this kind of incense, that kind of incense, do it this way, do it that way, and you're like, ah, I get lost in the whole thing. But in that holy place was the second sort of tier where the religious work got done by the priests in general. And then inside that as well, there is the Holy of Holies. So this is 45 feet long, and two-thirds of it is the holy place. And inside, so it's 45 by 15. So 30 by 15 is the holy place, and 15 by 15 is something called the most holy place. And the most holy place, and in the temple complex, it was actually just doubled. It was the same configuration, but that indoor thing was, it was twice the size of that. It was 90 feet uh, by 30 feet, and so the holy place was 30 by 60, and then the 30 by 30 was the most holy place. And the most holy place was the place that they set up that not only could the members of the community not go, because God dwelled there, but the priest couldn't even go there. In fact, nobody could go there except for one priest, one day a year, on the Day of Atonement, at the end of that festival, only after all the sacrifices had been made. And so you've got this sense of God's presence among them, but you're already hearing like that distance, right? Like you, but they couldn't go in to that most holy place. So these places, the temp- tabernacle and the temple, oh, by the way, that temple, go back to that temple picture. The first temple was built by Solomon in like a 950, 950 years before Christ. And then that was destroyed in, in 586, when the Babylonians came in. You're like, I've read something about that. I know, you should come to my seminar. It'll really help connect some of these dots. And then that temple got destroyed in, in 586 BCE. And then um, Zerubbabel came and built it. Remember Nehemiah and Ezra and the name Zerubbabel? Say Zerubbabel. Is that the best name ever in the Bible? Then, that, then they rebuilt that temple 516, and, right? and then Herod rebuilt the whole complex later at the and so by the time of Jesus, King Herod had made this a magnificent kind of structure, but that same temple thing was the same dimensions. So the temple of Jesus is probably what, something that looked a lot like what you're looking at right there. Anyway, all of this, you guys, was a symbol of God's presence. It was called, these were called the house of the Lord. It was God's house. That's where he dwelled. They were, the, the tent was called, the tent was called the tent of meeting. And so the tent of meeting was where you would go to meet with God, where God spoke to Moses, where God led the people of Israel, where God um, gave them his direction. And so you've got this sense of God's presence and God's leading, and then you've got this sense of God's provision because in the temple and in the tent of meeting where the sacrifices were made, the sins of God's people were atoned for in that place. Talk about provision. It's God taking care of our sin. 
So this is the symbol that we see in the tabernacle and the temple is that God, and that's why I titled my sermon this, this is, the, this is what I want to talk about for the rest of my time. God has made a way, this is the good news that's in that Old Testament. God has made a way for his people to experience his presence and his provision. God has made a way. And you may read the Old Testament and you're like, there's no way to experience God. You read most of the stuff about how holy God is. You most, most stuff, if you do it wrong, people are going to get killed. you got all kinds of crazy stories. And you're like, I don't understand all that. But in that, there's a theme of this good news that God has actually made a way for his people to experience his presence and his provision. That's the good news that we're talking about. And we're going to look a little bit at that symbol and how it gets its final and ultimate fulfillment in Jesus this, the couple of verses from the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the instructions in Exodus, the tabernacle getting set up, Exodus 25, 8, um, says this, then the God's telling Moses, then have them make a sanctuary, make a holy place, and I will, what are the words there? Dwell among them. I mean, that might have been, it just must have been a mind blower for them to be like, God's going to dwell here. He will live with us. This is that good news of God's presence Make this tabernacle, God says, and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you, and that's why you blank out and just skip to Philippians in your Bible reading, because then it's all the pattern and all the details of it that I didn't want you to miss that right in the middle, like, and I will dwell there. Oh, man, it's good news. And when the, temp- when the temple got built and then was getting dedicated, uh, this, this passage in 2 Chron- Chronicles chapter 5 in the description of the chronicler, then the temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. Remember, God said, yeah, well, you dwell within the cloud. The temple of the Lord was filled with the cloud. So they built the temple. They were about to dedicate it. They brought the Ark of the Covenant in there. And all of a sudden, the Lord filled it with his presence. And the priests, it said, could not perform their service because of the cloud. I love that. Don't miss that little phrase. We mean their service. They had all these rituals and all these things and all the lights and the lighting and the incense and the sacrifices and the dancing and the tambourines and the, all the stuff that they were supposed to be doing to please God, all the religious duties. But when the presence of God came and dwelled there, they couldn't do their job. The Lord's like, oh yeah, thanks for all that stuff, but I am here. In fact, all it says is that they all he could do is because the glory of God was so, the glory of the Lord had filled the temple. The glory of God was so powerful that all he could do was lay down on their faces and cry out, he is good. He is good. His love endures forever. By the way, I think one of the reasons why this church is so sweet and so healthy and so is that we're a bunch of people who try really hard to serve God and most of the time he just fills it with his glory and we go, oh yeah, you're good. This is all we got, God. You're so good. So he's super not impressed with the priests and all the things they're going to do. See the theme of that good news in the Old Testament? That God's going to make a way for his presence and his provision to be among his people. Let's talk about some of the details very briefly because I don't have time to go through them all. But in fact, if you want, if you're a note taker or a studier and this will be in your reading plan this week, hope you're joining us in, your reading plan, in the reading plan. If you don't know how to do that, there's a QR code on the card in front of you to download our app and you can join it. 200 and something of us are reading together every day. You'll read this in, in Hebrews chapter nine. You can just write that down. There's a description of some of these things that happen. And I wanna just go through what some of the contents and the symbolism of, of some of the things that are in the tabernacle and the temple. And the first thing is the ark. And you're like, what's the ark? The ark is a piece of wood. You know what you wish you had? You wish you had one of these. That because these Bibles that have color on every page and pictures and stuff like that, like there is actually on this Bible, there is, um, 
um, when it starts to talk ab and about it all, look at that. There's a picture of the tabernacle, and then there's all the articles that were inside and what they think they look like in descriptions. Is this the best thing ever? You wish you had one of these. <laughs> I have two of them to give away today. Sean, stand up and give one of the, two, two of these away to somebody. And I see somebody waving their hand right there. So I got, so, okay. Sean's going to give you, give away all both of those. Also, um, if you come to my class, you'll get one if you want. That's bribery. Um, you don't have to come to my class. I'll give you one anyway. Is that it? We already, okay, come see me after. I have one for you, okay? All right. Thank you, Sean. Um, the ark, it's a wooden box. It's about three and a half, three and three quarters feet long by a little over a two feet wide. And it is, um, and it's gilded, covered in gold. You get lost in all the details, right? But essentially what it is, and then inside is it is some things that show us about God's Listen, God's presence and God's provision for his people. So inside the middle of this holy of holies place where God dwells is the, is the ark. And inside it is are the Ten Commandments, the, the plates of the Ten Commandments, where God was like, listen, I'm going to tell you, we're going to have a covenant. I'm going to tell you how to live. Like, I'm going to communicate to you. In it is a jar of manna where God's like, I don't want you to forget. Remember how I fed you every day in the desert for 40 years? Remember that? Remember that? Remember how I take care of you? Remember that? How every day you had your daily bread? And then the other thing that's in there is Aaron's staff or Aaron's rod. That, and you're like, what is that? Go look that up. Numbers chapter 17. Go read that in your Bible reading. It is really, yeah. It's so, those are the three things that are in there. And you're like, well, wait, why was Aaron's staff in there? Was that because there was a time, there's a story. I got to tell you really fast. There's a story in number 17 where all these guys rebelled and they turned against Moses and Aaron and they're grumbling. Remember the grumbling? Say grumbling. And they're grumbling again in Exodus 17. And they're having all this difficult time with these leaders. And God's like, all right, look it. You guys... Get a leader from all 12 tribes. Get their staff, bring them here, stand before me. And they all come with their staffs. And he goes, whoever's staff buds, that's the leader that I've chosen. And so they all stood there and everybody just stood there with a stick that stayed a stick. And Aaron's budded, flowered, fruited, and grew almonds in front of everybody. <laughs> and the Lord's like, any questions? Now let's go. And he just, he put down the rebellion that way. So that's there. All of those things are a symbol of God speaking, of God leading, of God showing up, of God being present with his people and ultimately providing what it is that they needed. That's just the ark. Okay, I gotta go really fast. On, on top of the ark was something called the mercy seat or the atonement cover. It was maybe just a lid to the ark, but it was solid gold. It was like two feet wide, and it was a, 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 a hunk of gold that essentially was the throne of God. I mean, God was like, I, do you get the point? I will sit here. I will dwell here. I will be with you in this. And the amazing thing about that thing was that in the symbolism, as you start to read about all of the ritual, you're realizing, oh, that's the place in the Holy of Holies where the blood of the sacrifices of atonement on the festival of, the, of, of, the, of atonement, of the day of atonement, where they sacrificed the animals in all the ritualistic ways so that they would, they would do exactly what God said. They would take that blood and they would bring it. The high priest on that one day would creep in there hoping he wouldn't die from being in the presence of God and he would anoint the mercy seat, the place where God lived for the anointing and the forgiveness of all of God's people. Now, come on, is that not amazing? What an incredible good news you said. In other words, the blood from the sacrifice that brings atonement was brought to the throne of God for the forgiveness of God's people. What does that sound like? 
That's Jesus. So this is the good news that's weaving through here. There's in there, there's also the bread of presence. The bread of presence, all that is, is they're like, out of the very few things that are involved in this whole deal, they're like, put a table down, and on the Sabbath, every single a Sabbath, put 12 fresh loaves of bread on the table, one for each tribe of Israel, because God's gonna be like, I do not want you to forget that I will provide life for you. And then, by the way, Jesus came along and said, I'm the bread of life, and whoever follows me will never Go hungry. So there's, there's 12 loaves of bread in there. There's also a lampstand. A lampstand, it's an oil lamp, and they have all these rules about how to keep the oil going, what kind of oil to use, not what kind of oil to use, and what to do. But here's the point. It was commanded that they would never let it go out and never let it get dim. And when you think to yourself, why would there be a lampstand in the presence of God? Because he's the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness. You'll never be lost in the darkness, not knowing what God wants, how he's going to lead, how to find life. You'll never not know. Isn't this, isn't this beautiful? It's all in the Old Testament. Plus, the other places, other prophets talked about that lampstand, and they said, that's like your light as the covenant people. Don't let it go dim. You've got, you got to shine light to the whole world so they know the presence of God is with us. Oh, it's so good. And then the last thing that I want to talk about is there's an altar of incense there. It's right outside the Holy of Holies. And that altar of incense, listen, it's not the altar that's outside where they sacrifice animals, where there's blood sacrifice for the atonement of sin. This isn't that. That's on the outside. But right near the very presence of God is incense that they keep burning day and night. And as you know what incense symbolizes, it's the prayers of God's people. It's not that you better fix it, you better get atoned, you better find, it's like, give your prayers. Speak to me in my presence. I delight in hearing you. I'm gonna be providing what you need. Look at all the good news in all those crazy chapters and you read about it in literally Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and all the stuff in Temple and the Kings and the Chronicles. I mean, it is so hard to put all that together, but you go, oh, this is so sweet. There's good news in there that God is saying, I will make a way to, for my people to experience my presence and my provision. And yet, there was always the veil. There was always the veil. There was always the veil. And you're like, what's the veil? Because between the holy place, the work where the priests did all their work, and the most holy place, the actual true, like free God's presence, in God's presence, there was a giant curtain that people couldn't cross. And so while there's these hints of good news, the message was clear. Unholy people can never be in a relationship with a holy God and there needed to be something done because there's always going to be this veil. And God's like, look, at it, it's my heart to be in your presence. It's my heart to dwell among you, but there's always this curtain. Look at this verse in Exodus 26 when they talk about it and they're building the whole tabernacle. Hang the curtain from the clasps and place the Ark of the Covenant law behind the curtain. The curtain will separate the holy place from the most holy place or from the holy of holies, you may know it called. There's going to be a separation. There's always a veil. Friends, there's always a veil. There's, a veil for, there's been a veil from the history of humanity. There was a veil in, in, in the garden. As soon as sin entered the story, then God, remember, God had to say to Adam and Eve, where are you? 
Why are you hiding from me? There's a veil. There's a block in our in being in a relationship with God. There's been a veil in every human heart that has ever been born that without some salvation, there's a separation. We could do all the religious duties. We can do all the activities. We can make, try to make ourselves clean. But between us and the very true, real presence of God, there's a veil. There's always been a veil until the death of Jesus. And this is where this picture gets so amazing, until the death of Jesus. Because the fulfillment of all that God originally intended that he kept hinting at in all of that symbolism and all of that, I'm going to dwell among you, but you can't be with me with me, all came to fruition in Christ. Look at this verse in Hebrews chapter 10. This will be in your reading plan this week as well. Talking about that first Covenant that talking about the, the religious life of the, of the Jewish people in the tabernacle and the temple. It says this day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties again and again. He offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest, meaning Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. In other words, he's won the victory, and it is now just coming to culmination. Verse 14, for by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. All the priests, day after day, all this ritual, but there's always a veil, but this one sacrifice has made us perfect, has made us holy. Jump to verse 18. And where these have, have been forgiven, where sins have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Man, is this good? Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus. Wait, 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 wait. This is mind-blowing. Therefore, you have confidence to enter the most holy place, the place that nobody could go, the place that the one person could go one day a year only to offer atonement, only to appease God for a while. Like that was, like Jewish people hearing this would be like, wait, wait, the holy, wait, the holy of holies where the veil has been, I have confidence to enter it? Front row, that's my place. They would be blown away. And every human heart that knows there's been a veil between them and God gets their mind blown by hearing, wait, the presence of God is wide open for me because of what Jesus did. Therefore, brothers and sisters, it says, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, like, like, you see the symbolism? It's his body is the curtain. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let, say it with me, let us draw near to God. That is crazy talk in Old Testament terms. And this is the good news in the Old Testament. It is fulfilled in Jesus. And you want to know the, the best example in, uh, of the explanation of this, of a, a, an ex, a picture of this? Is, on the, is the day and the moment that Jesus died. In Mark chapter 15, and there's two places, two of the gospel writers include this. This is Jesus' very last moment on the cross. With a loud cry, Jesus breathed his last, period. That is the death of Christ right there, verse 37. And verse 38, remember this? And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. 
Come on now. This is the salvation of the world that the world has been created and longing for and looking for. This is the marker in all of human history that Jesus Christ died for the sins of the world. And when it's explained that this is what happened, when the, when the gospel writers go, and then he died, like that was it at the moment of death, then they choose to explain, not only was there an earthquake, one of the other writers says, but then the curtain was torn. There's always been a veil. There's always been a curtain. There's always been a hindrance to be in the presence of God. But the moment Jesus died, he takes our attention and goes, and look, and the curtain in the temple was rent from top to bottom, and the holiest place was wide open for public access. Come on. Is that incredible, that picture? How beautiful is God? How generous? How creative? That the moment Jesus died, the temple got to, the the curtain got torn in two. Can you imagine the holy priests, all the religious people standing there, going like, "Oh Lord!" That should be our symbol, by the way. You know, we have the cross and all that. That's going to be my next tattoo, like a torn curtain. Who is with me? Let's get it. That's who we are. We're torn curtain people. And the good news that God will make a way for us to be in his presence was made a way once for all. We're perfected by what Christ did on the cross. So let's talk about the implications right from the text. Band, come on out. I want you to lead us in worship afterward. We have an extended time in worship to end our morning. You know, if you have your Bibles, turn to... Um, um, Hebrews chapter 10, so you can see those verses that I talked about before. Hebrews, just looking at 19 through 22. I want to talk about what the implications are of this curtain. So I'm not going to leave these up on, this, on the, um, the screen, but I'd like you to see them. Because this is, this is therefore, brothers and sisters, therefore, the curtain being torn, us being perfected by Christ. Since we have confidence then to enter the most holy place, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart, and with the full assurance that faith brings. And I just want to enumerate those as implications as we close this morning. One, you can draw near. That's, you can draw near. It just shouldn't just be said based on everything that I've said, based on everything you know as a Christian, based on, you've read the Bible, but just let it sink in. You can draw near. And let's face it, we don't always. We don't live there. We don't draw near. This is a brutal reality and honest thing to say. It is way easier, and I actually prefer it in my flesh, to stay out of the Holy of Holies. And I, anybody in this room that's honest would say that. And I don't know what that's about all the time, except that it's our natural draw to live our own lives. But I think the reality is I would rather limp along in control of my lame life that I would make for myself than to enter into the unknown with God. And that's crazy talk. Because anything that I've designed, any way I'm living, any choices I make about who I, like me being in control of my life creates a Jeff-sized, Jeff-stanky life. And every time I've let God lead me into what he has for me, it's, it's abundance. But we stay out of God's presence. And the other thing is, frankly, I just love my little idols. I love my little cheap comfort. I love my little things that give me at least a little relief from the pain and the angst of the world rather than entering in and letting God go, let's take that idol and let's kill it. Because you're settling for way less than what I have for you. So anyway, the implication, you guys, 
you can draw near. And let's do it. Let's live that way. Let's live that way together. Like, I'm going in. Curtain's torn. I'm going in. Curtain's torn. I'm going in. That's where I'm going to live. Second, we, so we enter boldly. Verse 19 of that passage says, we have confidence to enter the most holy place. That's a mind blower, that we have confidence. We live such spiritual inferiority complexes because we believe that we know our lives. We know we still have sin. We know how selfish we are. We know how much we love our idols, blah, 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 blah. And we feel like we have to keep a distance from God. But Christ has made perfect, the scripture says, those who are being made holy. And so we have confidence to enter in. And so we come fully in. And the third thing that's related to that is then we come fully in being real. The real us shows up. In fact, the real us must show up. All of our wounds, all the sin that we're still holding on to, all of our inferiority, like sense, all of that embarrassment, all of the doubting about whether or not he's real, everything. We come in, the real us gets to show up. Doubts and all, warts and all, needs and all, and the real love that we go, this is what, this is what I got, God. This is my love for you. And the Father is delighted because the curtain has been torn open so that we might go in boldly and being real. And the last, that's the last thing the text says about it. It goes, and then with full assurance of faith, the full assurance that faith brings. In other words, we're fully sure as we run into this. We're fully sure when we go in that all this has been true. We go, oh my gosh, Jesus made a way. And I've said yes to him and giving my life to him. And I don't have to be ashamed, and so here I am. And you know the other full assurance that our faith gives us? That we'll find mercy. This is Hebrews 4.16. Write that down. We'll find mercy and grace in our time of need. Fully sure that he's my only hope. And so whatever I need and whatever mercy I need, it's going to be there. Not outside. Not in the courtyard. Not outside the, the, the grounds, but in the holy of holies. What an incredible theme of good news in the Old Testament that finds its fulfillment in Jesus that God has made a way for his people to experience his presence and his provision. God, that's just incredible news. And so that's why we call one another to worship. This is what we do here, you guys. That's why we talked about worship earlier. We come here not to give a seminar and give you some more info, although you do get good info and truth. We come here not just to have friendships and encouragement with one another, which also happens, but we come here to enter into a liturgy of going through the, the, the veil because it's torn open and we go, come on. It's been a whole week since we've been together. It's been a whole week since I've been reminded that I can be in the presence. Come on, we're going through. Come on, we're going into the presence of God. And so friends, come. Come through the veil. Surrender again to what Jesus has done for you and enter into the very presence of God and find mercy and grace in your time of need. Let's stand and enjoy an extended time in worship in response.